Great to see so many of you out tonight. Daniel chapter 12, we finish up the study of Daniel tonight before we dive into Revelation chapter 6 beginning next week. Daniel chapter 12. By the way, just a brief commercial for Sunday morning. Obviously, the entire Word of God is significant. But I believe that there are seven passages in the Bible that are truly more significant in the scope of what they deal with than than others. Genesis 1, the creation of the universe. Genesis 2, the creation of man. Genesis 3, the fall of man. Then the Gospels, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The passages dealing with the death and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Revelation 5, I believe, falls into that category. The passage we're going to look at on Sunday morning. I, it's one of my favorite ones to teach on. So I'm looking forward to Sunday. And I've been looking forward all day to tonight. I, I think the way Daniel ends, that even though he's dealing with a lot of of stuff, that, that Daniel ends with, with a note of hope, a note of expectancy, and, and, and I hope that that comes through tonight. Um, I just want to look at the first verse of Daniel 12, where he wrote at that time, at what time? Well, in the context, as we ended chapter 11 last week, we were looking at the time of the Antichrist, the time when the Antichrist will be on the earth. At that time, Michael, the great prince who watches over your people will arise. There will be a time of great distress, unlike any other from the nation's beginning up to that time. But at that time, your own people, all those whose names are found written in the book, will escape. Remember, part of why God gave Daniel the revelation that he did about the nation of Israel, Daniel's people, was because Daniel went to God in prayer and showed his concern for the people of God, for for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish nation. And as I thought about that, again, it just, God challenged me to be, I guess I'm going to say it this way, to have a wider view of life than just me. To truly be able to see the world as God sees it, and my community as God sees it, and my neighborhood as God sees it, and, you know, all of that, and, and to see the people, and, and, and in many ways, the, the spiritual state that they are in, and the hopelessness, and the lack of peace, and, and joy, and all of that that they have... It, This was part of, remember, Daniel's concern was that even though King Cyrus of Persia had allowed the people of Israel to go back, that many of them did not go back. And and even the ones that did were really struggling to get things going again. And and Daniel knew that, that... God had a special place in his heart for the city of Jerusalem and and for the people back there. And yet, it just seemed like they were hitting one wall after another. And it was out of that concern that Daniel poured out his heart to God and God answered his prayer. I guess for me, as I 
ended the book of Daniel, one of the things that I hope I captured from the study of this book was to have a heart like Daniel for others, to have a heart for our community. Even this Saturday, we're getting an opportunity as a church with this market on the move to show love to others, to have a heart for the nations, to have a heart for for the people that are going through such tragedy like they are in in Missouri, and and to truly be sensitive and empathetic uh, to the the needs of other people, we all can, can get so caught up in our own life and our own world and and forget that maybe even the person sitting next to us tonight may be really hurting. And and so Daniel is good for me in that his attitude just gives me that challenge to look outside of myself and see people around me and, and to try to connect and try to reach out in love and to truly be sympathetic towards the needs and, and what others are going through. And, and you certainly see this here with Daniel. I do want to mention, as he mentions Michael, Michael's name means who is like God. And he is the great prince, literally in the Hebrew, overseer who watches or defends the people of Israel. And one day he is going to arise. Now, I believe he is protecting the nation of Israel even now. Uh, but one day, the Bible says, he's going to significantly take a stand. And my personal belief is that, that this is going to take place in the context of the Antichrist. And so I think that this, what Daniel was getting a glimpse into, is further described, if you want to read about it, in Revelation chapter 12, where the Bible says that Michael and his angels go to war against a dragon or Satan and his angels. And there's this great angelic war in heaven And once and for all, Satan and the demonic forces are cast out and, uh, and, and, you know, in a sense, relegated away from there. And I think that this is in, in a very small seed form what Daniel is seeing here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. You'll also notice that the Bible says there will be a time of distress. That word distress means anguish. Painful pressure and extreme misery. And, and Daniel is seeing that God is saying that this, this time is going to be unlike any other from the nations beginning up to that point. Well, we know the nation of Israel and the Jewish people have went through a lot of misery and pain throughout their history. But the Bible is predicting that there's coming a time. I believe specifically the seven year tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. That's going to be an unbelievable time, unlike any that the nation has ever experienced up to that time. But also notice, at that time, the Bible says, Your own people, those whose names are written in the book, will escape, be delivered, be rescued from great peril, is what the word escape means. And again, you can read about this in the book of Revelation. You can read about this in the book of Zechariah, where God will have a remnant of Jewish people who will come through the tribulation, not only come through the tribulation, but I believe will turn in faith to Christ and will recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah and will come through the tribulation and enter into the millennial kingdom as children of God. So God promises that even in the midst of of the darkness 
for the Jewish nation, that it is through that 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 people are going to come, many of the Jews are going to come to know their Messiah uh, through that time. And then he gives him this great promise, verse 2. Because there are many people that believe that the Old Testament never teaches on resurrection. But clearly here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible clearly teaches resurrection and the hope of future resurrection. Notice, many of those who sleep, by the way, the word sleep is never used in the context of physical sleep, it's, or soul sleep, I should say. It's always used in the context of death or physical sleep. The Bible never teaches soul sleep, as, as some people teach. And so here I believe he's talking about the sleep of death in the dusty ground, obviously. There's the context. And he says, many of those who sleep in the dusty ground will awake, will rise, will be resurrected. And then he goes on to say, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting abhorrence. Now also notice, before we go back to this great promise of resurrection, even in the Old Testament, that he mentions here only two eternal destinies. There are not multiple eternal destinies. And that these eternal destinies are clearly contrasted here. Either people are going to enjoy everlasting life or everlasting shame and abhorrence. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. It is one or the other. But all will be resurrected. Now, not all at the same time. And that's why in Daniel 12, verse 2, the Bible uses the word many here. Because not everyone is going to be resurrected at the same time. I don't want to get into that tonight. That's a study for another day. But it is important to know as believers in the Word of God and in Jesus Christ that what we have to look forward to is everlasting life, my friends. And that one day, God is going to resurrect our dead bodies. If we die before the Lord comes, even in that, we're going to go immediately to be with God, and one day our body will be resurrected and changed and glorified and fit for eternity. Now, one other thing here, and I I don't want to be too dogmatic about this, but in the, in the funerals and memorial services that I, that I preach at, I also try to remind the family and friends of those who have, have died that I believe that God also gives us an intermediate body to live in until our body is resurrected. I base that on many scriptures. The one I will give you tonight, food for thought, is this. On the Mount of Transfiguration, When Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, they saw Elijah and Moses. And they didn't see them as ghosts or spirits. They saw them in a body. Well, obviously, Elijah and Moses' bodies have not been resurrected yet, but yet they appeared in bodily form to the three disciples. And so I believe that God does that because he understands that's the context that we know. We know bodies. And so 
I think the Bible clearly teaches that even when we die and go to be with Jesus, that we are going to live in the context of a body. Now, it's a spiritual body. It's not anything like our earthly body, but it is a body. In fact, you know what? Let's just stop talking about it for a moment. Go to 2 Corinthians with me for a moment. 2 Corinthians, one of the great passages on the hope of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry, didn't even give you the chapter. Paul says to the Corinthians, for we know, folks, these are things that we, there's a lot we don't know, but God gives us the things that that we can know and, and things that should really encourage us. We know that if our earthly house The tent we live in, that's just a description of our physical body, is dismantled. We have a building from God, a house not built by human hands, that is eternal in the heavens. God is promising us a body to live in. For in this earthly house, this body, we groan. And the older we get, the more we groan. Because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put on our heavenly house, we will not be found naked. In other words, a disembodied spirit. For we groan while we are in this tent. And again, the older we get, the more we groan. Since we are weighed down, the longer we live life, the older we get, the more this physical body, this earthly house begins to to waste away and, and break down. And he says, we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. So that is why the mortal must be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as the down payment. That's how you and I know as the children of God that we're going to be glorified one day and live eternally in heaven because of the Spirit. The Spirit's the down payment, if you will, of all that. The guarantee. Therefore, Paul says to the Corinthians and us, we are always full of courage. And we know that as long as we are alive here on earth, We are absent from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. Thus, we are full of courage and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. People always ask me, what happens to a believer when they die? I believe the moment, the second they die, they go to be with the Lord. Jesus said even to the thief on the cross that placed his faith in him that day, today you will be with me in paradise. We go instantaneously to be with the Lord. To be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. And the Bible says in Psalm 1611, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. Death for the Christian is not a demotion. Death for the Christian is a promotion to heaven and to glory. In fact, go back with me real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to learn about the resurrection body and what our body in some ways is going to be like when we get to heaven, study 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49 someday. But today or tonight, I just want to read this great passage, 1 Corinthians 15, picking it up at verse 50. Again, this is a passage I use at many memorial services and funerals as a, as a way of encouraging And this is what I'm saying, Paul says, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then this saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's it mean? The fact of the resurrection for those of us who are still alive. Verse 58. He says, so then, dear brothers, if this is all true, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, these truths should motivate us to a greater commitment to the Lord. If this is what we truly know, if this is what we believe, if this is what we've got to look forward to. And that's exactly what God was giving Daniel here in Daniel chapter 12, if we go back there. He was giving him that encouragement as well. And then I love verse 3. You guys are in verse 3. I really believe that. The application at least. He says, the wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse. The word wise here means those who are living in light of God's word. And because of that, they are prudent, they are insightful, they are discerning. And notice the Bible says in verse 3 that the wise, those who live in the light of God's word, will send out light. They will shine. The word also means to warn and teach. It's the same word that we saw last week in verse 33 of chapter 11 when it says, those who are wise among the people will teach the masses. Their light will shine because they are living by the light and in the light of God's word. And I love that. Like the brightness of the heavenly expanse. Wow. I think you guys do that. I think you shine. And then I love this. Those bringing many to righteousness, verse 3, will be like the stars forever and ever. See, Hollywood may have its walk of stars, walk of fame. God has his stars. And his stars are those who are bringing many to righteous. That phrase in the Hebrew means literally to live right and declare what is right. You see, technically, we can't bring anybody to righteousness. We can, we can live right and we can share what's right with them, but God doesn't hold us responsible for their response. So don't get caught up in, well, I, you know, nobody's listening to me when I talk to them about Jesus. You're going to shine and you shine for God regardless of what other people's response is or not. Because again, God doesn't hold us responsible for other people's response. Greatest example of that in the Bible, Noah. The Bible says Noah was a knockout preacher. Man, nobody could preach like Noah. He was righteous. He was faithful. He's in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. How many people listened to him? His family, that was it. He preached for 120 years while he was building the ark. And no one listened to him. No one else got... Did God call Noah a failure? No. God said, Noah, you're one of the stars that's going to shine forever and ever. Because you lived right. And you declared what was right, regardless of whether people listened to you or not. So don't get caught up 
in, well, I invite people to come to church, nobody comes. I talk to people about Jesus, nobody seems to respond. You just keep doing what God called you to do. You keep following and seizing those opportunities with people and loving on them. and talk. Because again, it's all about planting seeds. It's all about God giving the increase anyway. Paul said, some people plant, some people water. God gives the increase. Don't get caught up in the response or the results. Even though in America, we are so result-oriented Just be faithful to what God's called you to do. And God says, you will shine forever and ever like the stars. You guys, to me, you shine. And I'm looking forward to seeing you shine throughout eternity. Verse 4. But you, Daniel, close up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now, he wasn't telling Daniel, don't make this book available. Just the opposite. The words close up mean to keep it close. The word seal means to protect. It means to preserve it through the ages, to keep it intact, so that from one generation to another, these truths could be handed down. That's what God wants Daniel to do. Not to hide it away so nobody gets to it. And obviously that didn't happen because Daniel's been in the Word of God for centuries now and people have had access to it and and god tells daniel through the the angel many will dash about many will literally be racing life will be accelerated and what they're going to accelerate over is a frenetic search for knowledge as time goes on as history goes on more and more people have more and more questions that need to be answered as far as you know the world and stuff like this and 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 things are getting even more complicated and nobody has the answers and people are going to be searching desperately for answers to try to solve the problems that the world is in and there's going to be this desperate accelerated race this frenetic search for knowledge now one of the things out of that is this For centuries, the knowledge that people needed was found in the Word of God and they ignored it. So that's why God says, you don't have to turn there, but in the prophet Amos, this is what he says. He says, God says through Amos, be certain of this, the time is coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a shortage of food or water, but an end to divine revelation. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north around to the east. They will wander about looking for a revelation from the Lord, but they will not find any. Because when they had God's word, they ignored it. It wasn't important. But there's coming a time where the events on the earth are going to be such that people will really be interested in what is out there as far as information about the things that are happening. Verse 5. I, Daniel, watched as two others stood there, one on each side of the river. One said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when will the end of these wondrous events occur? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was over the waters of the river as he raised both his right and left hands to the sky and made an oath by the one who lives forever. It is not for... It is for a time, times, and half a time, which we've seen as three and a half years. Then when the power of the one who shatters or literally breaks the holy people, I think the Jewish nation has been exhausted, all these things will be finished. There is an end coming. Not a literal end, because for you and I, it's everlasting life. When the Bible talks about an end, it's an end to this period of history as we know it is coming to an end. And that's a good thing. Because that means Jesus comes and reigns and things are different. And it's going to be so good. And then Daniel said, I heard 
but I did not understand. Can I just stop there? Some of you, I love your hunger for the word of God and you want to keep learning and growing, but sometimes you're so hard on yourself and you get discouraged because of what you don't know yet. Don't get discouraged. Just keep plugging away. Do you realize Daniel didn't understand all this? The next time you get into the word and you're having trouble understanding, go back and read those words and go, oh, wait a minute. Daniel couldn't even understand it all. Hopefully that'll be an encouragement in a weird sort of way. So I said, sir, what will happen after these things? Literally, what is the outcome of all this? And notice what the response is. Go, Daniel. For these matters are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Another, it's not needful, Dan, for, uh, Daniel, for you to have all the answers. I, I've given you enough of what you need. Remember, God doesn't give us all the answers to the questions we want to know in the Bible. But he gives us all the answers to the questions that we need to know in order to have a relationship with him and bring glory to him. He gives us that much. And so even to Daniel, he was like, Daniel, don't worry about the outcome of all this. Go. And very interestingly, here's what that word means. It means keep making progress, Daniel. Even though Daniel was now in his 80s, God said to him through the angel, you just keep focusing on making spiritual progress and walking with your Lord and just going back to being faithful to do what God's called you to do. See, it's a great principle. Instead of wanting Daniel to get caught up in all the prophecies, he was calling Daniel back to, in a sense, reality of life and living life in a, in a faithful way and getting back to the business that God has called him to. If I can for a moment, because I I touched on this a little bit Sunday, and I don't want to get sidetracked by this guy who made the prediction, who now has changed his prediction. Anyway, um, oh my goodness, it just left me. Oh well, we'll go back to it if, if I remember it. So, I hope that will encourage you. He's just saying, oh, I know what it was. He and and his group of followers and even others get caught up into the time of the end and forget about who they really should be focusing on. We shouldn't, the Bible never tells us to focus on the time of the end. When's it going to happen? The Bible always tells us to focus on God, not on the details of prophecy. And, and, and people get caught up in the details of prophecy and forget the one who's making it all happen. We've got to be careful of that. that that's, one of the, that's one of the downsides of even studying prophecy. Is, is, as I've said before, people know all the beasts in the book of Revelation and they act like it too. Because they got, they got all the details of prophecy down, but it never makes them more like Jesus Christ in the way they live their life. It never makes them more loving. It never makes them more compassionate, more forgiving, more faithful. More, it's just, they've got all these details down. And we forget to focus where our focus needs to be. So he said, Daniel, you keep making progress. And then verse 10. Many, through this very hard time that Israel's going to be going through, as we talked about last week, will be purified or purged. 
made clean, or literally made white. Remember Isaiah 1.18? Come now, let us reason together, all you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. God says, I can make you white, and he will make them white. And they will be refined. As we talked about, God is the refiner's fire. It is the process of heating in order to separate. And God's going to bring them through a time of purification and refining. Now, God does predict here in verse 10, the wicked will go on being wicked. Things aren't going to get better, you know. And in fact, the wicked will be very stubborn and obstinate and hardened and willful that even though things are going to be happening, they're not going to change. In fact, he goes on to say, none of the wicked will understand, not because they couldn't understand, because they don't really want to know the truth. That's exactly what the Bible says in the New Testament when it talks about the strong delusion it's going, God's going to send on the world. It's not because they couldn't know the truth, it's because they don't want to know the truth. How sad. But he does say, the wise will understand. Don't miss that, verse 10. Those who are living in the light of God's word, they'll get what's happening. And they'll understand what's going on. They will have that insight, perception, and discernment. And then he says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits, literally, with hope and expectancy and attains to the 1,335 days. Why the difference? My personal belief is that after the battle of Armageddon and before the official start of the millennial kingdom, there is a gap. A gap to set things right, if you will, and get the kingdom ready to go. Personal belief. And and God is saying to Daniel, those who are waiting with hope and expectancy for the kingdom to come and who attain to it. I love the word attain. It means to extend, to stretch out a little bit longer to that 1335 day period. Think of the runner. Think of the, the image in Hebrews 12 that running the race and we're running a marathon. And you know how those runners at the end, they see the, the, the tape there, the finish line. And when they're there, they stretch out. They, they extend themselves to run through the tape. God is saying to Daniel, blessed are those who are waiting with such hope and expectancy that they extend themselves and stretch themselves even through this darkest hour of human history and they extend themselves and stretch themselves to the finish line. And then he says, but you, Daniel, you should go your way until the end. Second time he says to Daniel, Daniel, just go back to what you're doing and be faithful and keep making progress. Yes, I've given you an overview of, of the future of human history, but don't, don't get so caught up in the details of these prophecies, Daniel, that you quit being faithful to what God has called you to here and now. We've got to keep prophecy and these details in perspective, and that's exactly what he was telling Daniel at the end of this book. Keep it all in perspective, Daniel. And then I love this, because you and I are part of this too, these promises. 
He promises Daniel, one day, Daniel, you will rest. You will rest. That word means to be settled permanently. You see, the Bible teaches as believers in God, the world is not our permanent home. We're, we're strangers. We're sojourners. We're just, we're just passing through. Our home, as we learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be what? Home with the Lord. Our home is in heaven with the Lord. That's our home. When we get there, it's going to be like, ah, see, that's home. And that's what we get to look forward to. Don't, don't get caught up on putting too many roots down or putting your roots down too deep here on the earth. Folks, this, this isn't our permanent home. Remember what Jesus said to his followers? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. That's what we look forward to. That's what he wanted Daniel to be looking forward to. And then he says, then at the end of the days, you will arise. Literally, that word means to be called forward. To be called forward to receive what you have been allotted. That word means an assignment or territory. So don't miss it. Don't miss what this is teaching Daniel and what this teaches us. That God is promising that one day we get to look forward not only to be settled in our home in heaven with the Lord permanently, but that based upon how we live our lives down here, there will be a reward of, of an assignment, of, of a territory that God will place us over to manage, to be in charge of throughout the kingdom on into eternity. That's why it's really important to live the Christian life and not have the attitude that many people do today who say, well, I'm just glad my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. If I just make it to heaven, that's good enough for me. Folks who make that statement, if they are Christians, have no concept about what the Bible teaches about living the Christian life and how important it's going to be actually throughout eternity. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 27? He says, run the race to win. Give it your all. We've only got one life. And based upon that one life and the faithfulness of our life, God's going to give us a territory, an assignment, an allotment throughout eternity to literally rule and reign as heirs with Jesus Christ. That's why in the parables, Jesus said, you've been faithful over this. I will make you responsible now for this. And Daniel was able to look forward one day to some special assignment that God was going to give him to be in charge of. See, heaven's not this place where we just sit around, you know, sitting next to fat angels called cherubs with harps and float around and stuff on a cloud. Folks, we're going to have purpose even in heaven. And we saw Sunday that part of that purpose is, yes, worship the Lord, but part of that purposefulness of glory and of eternity is we're going to have an assignment. We're going to have an allotment. We're going to have something by which to manage even there. 
to bring honor and glory to the Lord throughout eternity. And it's going to be based on how we've lived our lives down here. In fact, in closing tonight, here's a good challenge for all of us. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians once again tonight, and we'll close with this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of the many that teach this, but one of my favorites. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, talking to the Christians Christians in Corinth, talks about how God had given him this grace so that he could strive to be a master builder that laid a great foundation, which was Jesus Christ. And then at the end of verse 10, notice he says, each one should be very careful how he builds, how he lives his life. And he says in verse 11, now no one can lay any foundation other than Jesus Christ. If if our foundation is not Christ, then it doesn't matter what we build with our lives. It's not going to mean much for eternity because it wasn't built on the proper foundation. But even if our foundation is Jesus Christ, not all Christians are going to build the same. And that's why he then says in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work, each Christian's work will be plainly seen for the day, the day of reward, the day of accountability, not the day of judgment, because Christians will not be judged for our sin. We will be judged for or rewarded for the work that we have done and the motivation behind it and the faithfulness, faithfulness by which we did it. And the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by that God's refining fire which will separate. And the fire will test what kind of work each has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss of reward. And notice the Bible says he himself will be saved. We're not talking here about people losing their salvation. It is loss of reward. It is loss of a, of a greater assignment or responsibility in eternity. But it's not loss of salvation. The Bible clearly says he himself will be saved, but that's it. He'll have nothing to show for it. He will get to heaven and be like the ones who say, well, I'm just glad my sins are forgiven and I'm in heaven. But once they get there, if that was their attitude and they have nothing to show for their life to give as an offering out of love and gratitude for what Christ has done for them, there will be some tears shed. See, the Bible does say that God will wipe away every tear. But that comes after this time of accounting. I think there's going to be many Christians when they get to heaven are going to shed tears for the lack of commitment, the lack of care, 
the lack of priority they gave to their Christian life. But for those who were devoted, the Bible says, oh my, reward is coming and it's going to be even greater than you could ever imagine. I want to encourage you folks with this. We live We live in a climate today where people, for the most part, really aren't hungry for the Word of God. And I just want to say, I am so thankful for you stars, for you who are wise. For you who see the difference. For you who make the effort on a personal level and at this level to take the time to come out on Sundays and Tuesdays and dive into the Word of God. You are truly the stars of God who will shine forever because you are gaining wisdom. You are living in light of God's revelation. And you are living right, and you are declaring what is right, and God will not forget you, or what you are doing, or what you have done. Thank you. I cannot, I cannot say enough how encouraging it is in the day and age in which we live, where a lot of people really aren't real. I mean, they might say, yeah, I really, I, I love the Word, I want to study the Bible. I mean, when it really comes down to it, to make the effort that you all make week in and week out, and even, like I said, on your own, in your own personal time to dive into the Word, thank you. You will never regret it one day throughout eternity, the time you spent with the Word of God. Your stars to me and your stars to God. Be encouraged. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful book of Daniel. Thank you for the the encouragement and the hope, even in the midst of the darkness that is even present today. That, Lord, you call us as your children to be stars that shine. So, God, help us to shine. Help us to, to live right. Help us to declare what is right. We can't make people come to faith in Christ. That's not what we're called to do anyway. And as we said tonight, you never hold us responsible for other people's response. But you do hold us responsible to live in light of your word. And when you give us the opportunity to speak what's right, to declare what's right, to stand up for what's right. And God, help us to have the strength and the courage to look past the the persecution even and maybe the mocking and the scorning that we get in the world today when we stand up for Jesus and say we love Him. Help us to realize, Lord, that in Your kingdom, we're stars. 
Down here, very few people may even know we exist. But God, you take note of everything we do. And you love every one of us more than we could ever imagine. And you have a place, an unbelievable place with you prepared for each one of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior. God, help us to live our Christian life, not not in earning or working for our salvation, because that's through your grace, by our faith. But help us to live our Christian life as a life of love and gratitude poured out to a God that is so great and so good. Help us to offer our lives to you, God. Go with us now. God, give us a great week. I pray, Lord, that on Saturday that we may make a difference in Gilbert. That, Lord, this market on the move may, may be just one small way that, that we can show your love and care in this community. And, God, prepare our hearts for Sunday as we come and partake of communion and come together and worship you and dive into your word. God, just help us to have the time of our lives these next couple of days with you. To know that we are walking with the God of the universe each and every step of the way. Go with us, God. Give us that peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thank you. Have a great week. Love you.